Hello and welcome to Extraordinary with me, James Wallace, the podcast that shines a light on ordinary people who have gone on to do and see extraordinary things. And in this episode, I sit down with business owner, Benji Leslie. I am the CEO and founder of Connect Management, fastest growing social first talent agency in the UK. They've got 130 influencers. We work on massive campaigns with every brand under the sun. There's not many brands in the UK that we haven't worked with. Benji, who is just 23 years old, tells me how he got started in business and how it was the pandemic that catapulted his business idea into a multi-million pound enterprise. If you buy a car and you decide you want it in red, not black, that's your decision. Whether the car salesman likes the color red or not, we can advise and we can say this is why and we can lay it all out. It's up to the client whether they want to proceed in the way we suggest or the way they suggest. Benji and I talk about a number of things including influencer marketing and what he thinks 2023 will bring. I know exactly what I want. Anybody that knows me will know that this, where I'm sitting right now is where I'm meant to be. I've always wanted to be a businessman. I also get under the skin of Benji's childhood and his entrepreneurial spark, which clearly has been there from a very young age. At school, I was the kid that got away with doing the bare minimum amount of work that selling sweets in the corner of the like, hallways and I used to sell all sorts. I went through a phase of selling bath and body works, hand sanitizers before COVID was even a thing. I was selling sweets from America, then shoes. Like, I've, I've always been that guy. If you're interested in sales, startups, marketing, leadership, and of course, business in general, then this episode isn't one to miss. Sales is the most lonely thing ever because however hard you're trying, if you can't sell anything, you just think you're shit. If I know a brand spending X amount of money on a TV ad, then that's getting them 10 million views. If I can deliver 20 million views on social, why should I be getting less money for that viewership? If you know you've got to do a certain number in exchange for a free holiday, you're going to do the number, whether you like it or not. However well I may be doing, there's 25 million people doing better. And if you enjoy this episode, please don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating or a review from wherever you're listening from. It really helps the podcast keep going and growing. That being said, and without further ado, enjoy the show. So Benji Leslie, how are you doing today? Welcome back from Qatar. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. I think it's worth saying actually at this stage that this is the second time and this is the first time in the history of the Extraordinary Podcast I've had to re-record an episode. Um, So I just wanted to be fully transparent uh, with anyone that's listening that's saying sometimes it doesn't always go to plan and your first episode was amazing uh, but we're gonna have to do it all again so I really appreciate you it was so up. good we're running it back <laughs> <laughs> it's so good we have to do it twice exactly for those who don't know who you are and for anyone that's working in the marketing and advertising industry they absolutely should know who you are but tell everyone uh, what it is that you do I will indeed. Okay, so my name's Benji. It's nice to meet everybody listening. Um, I am the CEO and founder of Connect Management, which is the fastest growing social first talent agency in the UK. Um, we do a little bit of everything. Um, we specialize in social first talent management, which means we exclusively sign influencers, creators online, um, look after them from a managerial point and also help them monetize their content. Um, we also have an agency leg. Um, where we create branded content for clients um, that goes viral across social media. Um, and that's a growing part of our business, very data-led. Um, and yeah, we, we've got 130 amazing influencers on the books exclusively, ranging from the likes of 
Sam Ryder to VFX artists to people that make lifestyle life-size cakes to fashion bloggers and designers and a bit of everything really a real niche amazing and and you literally do have like the best of the best like in terms of like if there is a a big TikTok star that someone listening is following the chances are they are probably going to be associated to connect in some way whether they're signed with you or whether you've worked with them in in some capacity right 100% so TikTok is our specialty um but not limited to we work on YouTube we work very closely as a meta partner um on Facebook and Instagram um and we're doing work with Snapchat as well at the moment so very versatile whatever platform it is if it's social related with it amazing amazing and and just for avoidance of doubt for those who don't know how a talent agency works can you just explain how how it is that you make money off these very talented people um so that we, we essentially work out a way to earn and monetize their content so as an influencer you can very easily post content online and make content go viral. Monetizing it is another story because obviously you need to understand what brands are looking for and also how to create content that is actually positive for the brand and and drives return on investment. So as an agency, we charge a 20% fee um, to our clients based on any any deals or any opportunities that we bring to the table. So it's not like... retain client where they spend 500 quid a month for our service and we we do all the work for them it's very much what we bring to the table is how we earn so there's a lot of motivation there for us to earn off the back of them um we we we, it's like anything right The, the more money they earn the more money we earn so we're very we're very um motivated for them to earn big cash um, but also deliver deliver on the work that we get them. So, for example, if we're working with a brand, that brand is going to want to deliver ret- a retained custom if we get the job right. Um, yeah. And the influencers understand that, and they know that if we can make a fucking good video, sorry, my, my language, um, for the brand, well. then they know they're going to come back next month and, and work with them again, and we'll come up with a new concept that's going to go equally as viral. And deliver results so it's it's about maintaining for them a, a lifestyle because when you start earning cash you then start spending money and these influencers work as a business they really need to understand that there's a way to deal with clients and um i feel like i'm just talking around in circles um no i i get it it's almost like you are the vehicle you're the conduit between what they do from a lifestyle perspective because i'd imagine a lot of them started in the pandemic in their bedrooms like doing funny dances and they've just blown up but actually they do need a business like yours to facilitate that content to brands budget holders to monetize their influence i guess i think on a deeper level as well as financial advisors accountants um more uh role models like who who are they looking up to how are they basically turning their business from a one-man band to a team of two or three four people Mm -hmm. and delivering content to a high standard brands are looking now to basically put tv style ads on socials and that doesn't work Um, and and what we do is we enable them to create content that brands not only can deliver revenue from but also like engage with their audiences rather than just watch this advert Um, yeah 
And and how do you prove that it works? Because I guess like in my <laughs> you laugh because in in kind of the cert like okay everyone knows I work in marketing. Yeah. We we have discussions the whole time about kind of where's the best way where what's the best way to invest marketing pounds and pence and yeah. in any given sort of boardroom when you're having these marketing investment discussions there will be different kind of schools of thought at play there'll be someone in the room that says you know tv isn't dead it's still kind of like mass reach universal appeal like there's there's deep engagement there someone will say oh no it's much smarter to only invest in digital because you can track it someone will say oh no we should absolutely only do influencers because they're like you know target market and it's much more authentic and that is like the new way of doing it so like when you're kind of up against it and you're being challenged as a business as to why why influencers why talent what what's kind of your response Anybody that's pitching marketing and saying that you should be spending all your money in influencer, all your money in digital, clearly doesn't know what they're talking about when it comes to marketing. I think that it's very important to have a solid marketing funnel and really dabble in all the different streams because a business will have so many different areas of revenue, whether that be from an older demographic or from Gen Z, and, and you've got to interact with your customers in different ways. For Gen Z, the best way, in my opinion, to to reach these people is over over social media. Mm. However, if I'm take take for example a brand like Sainsbury's, right? I'm gonna want to be able to reach Gen Z for a specific product line, but for Pampers nappies, reaching out to 19 year old who's watching an influencer on TikTok is probably not the best way to go about it. So. It, it's really about making sure that when we get a briefing for a campaign, understanding what are the brand's goals, what are the guidelines, and what are they what, what are they actually wanting to achieve? Because for us, we could book 25 influencers, create this massive campaign targeting towards parents and mothers, and they could turn around and say, oh, actually, we were looking to reach Gen Z, and then we wasted all the budget. So it really starts from the planning stage. Um, we have a vast roster, as you know, so that no matter what the campaign is or what the target audience is, we can make sure that we put together a campaign that's effective. Love that. What a, what a great response. No, like all good marketing has got to be, you know, you've got to look at your your entire marketing mix and explore all channels. But I totally, I think, you know, from, from you know, influencer marketing is nothing new. Um, yeah. it, it's been around for a very long time. I was actually looking at one of the influencers that, that we're working with in 2023. And, you know, I worked with her in tw- 2015, like, on, but she was a YouTuber back then before yeah. TikTok even existed. So it's just, it's nothing new. I just think the way in which brands are interacting with it is thankfully getting much more sophisticated, but, um, you know, it's a fascinating world as I'm sure anyone listening who works in marketing will, will completely appreciate. Um, so where did you or how did you uh, identify the opportunity? So I think the, the backstory to the business is it's a COVID business, as a lot of other people right now is. I, I was working also in the advertising industry, um, but more on the consumer side in the sense of I was working with a lot of the different airlines um, to create media for them, both digital and print. Um, we, I mean, we work with some crazy big brands creating these really cool out of home opportunities and it was great fun. But obviously when COVID hit, all the planes stopped and most marketeers, as you would, will turn around and say, well, what's the point of advertising 
to travelers if nobody's traveling. Um, so it was a difficult decision and a, a lot of people from the business got made redundant. And I was in a position where I knew I had to do something different and I, I couldn't stay where I was financially. It wasn't feasible for me. Um, so I luckily had a friend who said to me, look, I've got a million followers on TikTok. And at the time I was like, what the hell is TikTok? I didn't even know what it was, nor had I downloaded it. I had to learn very quickly about social media and, and influencer marketing. And I spent all of lockdown basically researching, planning, working with this guy to come up with ways to monetize his platform the same way I did with the airlines, just on a social front. And within six months, we, we found it to be very profitable. And I spanned out and started offering a service to different influencers. And it grew from one to five to 10 to 15 to 20. And then I realized, crap, I can't do this on my own anymore. Um, and I had a decision to make. Like, do I, do I stay and do this from my bedroom on my own and the growth is stunted at this? Or do I start hiring a team and basically go for it and create a business off the back of it? And that's exactly what I did. Um, I hired my first staff member in lockdown. Um, we worked over Zoom. He came to my flat towards the end of the lockdown and we worked literally from my sofa on laptops, just emailing every single brand saying like, we're a new agency, we're social first, we're getting a, a new positive spin on, on marketing and we want to do stuff for you guys. And it, it just took graft and determination. And from there, we got an office and it spanned from three members of staff to five to 10 to now 17. Probably by the end of next year, we'll be 25, 30, if not more. And um, the business is growing really, really well. Um, as I said, they've got 130 influencers. We work on massive campaigns with every brand under the sun. There's not many brands in the UK that we haven't worked with, fortunately. And yeah, it's all going, it's all going really well. It's incredible. I'm really interested in that kind of that first kind of you almost pimping out your mate. Like, how how did you get and I mean I'm just interested in kind of how you got that brand that first brand on board like was it kind of cold calling emails did you have to pull in favors like because obviously in my mind success brings breeds success and once you've got a case study it's much easier to win the second one once you've got two it's easier to get three but like it's always that first one so like how did you do that it, it's all results driven right so if I if the first campaign we did was a massive flop then it probably would have been pretty difficult to yeah. carry on growing um I think on on an influencer side a lot of people are quite driven by money so if you're bringing them lots of opportunities to work with brands then um that's that was the, the side that picked up pretty quickly when when one influencer tells another influencer that they're earning X amount of money, they also want to yeah. earn that money. So they come to me and say, right, can you do the same for me? For me, it was about creating a portfolio of influencers that had a strong offering that when I went to the brand, it wasn't based on campaigns I'd done before, but I was able to say, this is the value I can deliver for your brand with these people. Um, and I targeted brands that I could see were already spending on social. I didn't go after new, uh, I didn't go after brands that weren't spending on social because I understood that it's a, more of a, it's, it's, it was more of a difficult pitch that I would get eventually. But initially, if these brands are already spending and I can put a new outlook on it, then that's where the deals are going to be easiest to close. Um, so I'd spend hours a day on TikTok and Instagram basically just searching in the search bar, hashtag ad, and then I go through every single advert and um, 
basically just writing in down the names of the brands in an Excel sheet and then took to LinkedIn and basically just started messaging away, hey, got this opportunity, let's hop on a call. And, you know, you send 200 emails, 200 messages, you probably get three or four people that reply to you. But Mm. that's the fun of the game. And once you build relationships and you deliver a good job, as you know, it's it's a lot easier to ask for referrals and um, just span out that way. And and of all the kind of the campaigns that you've done since inception, how many of them have been directly with brands versus facing off to agencies or platforms? I would say it's probably about 60, 40, 60% in agency favor. That's brilliant because that's like, I mean, from a, from an, uh, I guess, like an automation perspective or just like, you know, cost of doing business, it's much better to be on the roster of an agency where you can just get business without having to work for it, right? There's two parts to it. So obviously by having an agency involved, there's less budget because the agency obviously has to get paid. They're not working for free, right? Got it. Hmm. At the same time, we've built some relation. We've some we've built lots of relationships with lots of very big agencies from MediaCom to Havas, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, that already have the retained clients because they've been working with them for twenty years on out of home and newspaper and magazine and TV and YouTube or whatever. So for them, if we can deliver the opportunity that they can then pitch to their already their clients that already trust them with budget it's a lot easier for them to get the ball over the line. Whereas when we're working with Brands Direct, they usually give us a small test budget. And then once a small test budget is done, then we can look at proper budgets, right? So there's a process with it. Um, whereas the agencies have already got that, they've already unlocked the cash. Um, for us, as long as we can deliver a good campaign, it doesn't make a difference whether it's coming through the agency or the Brand mm-hmm. Direct. Um, as long as our influencers are able to work with the right brands, then that's that's good for us and the agencies take a lot of the like the the middleman admin out of the way the reporting on the campaigns um the, the, the client work. negotiations the briefing the backwards and forwards on tightening up the briefs and all that kind of stuff oh yeah totally super interesting so what do you think i mean you've touched on it briefly already just about being more than just um, a provider of jobs i guess to your talent pool but what makes connect different to the hundreds of other talent agencies out there. And I say that with firsthand experiences in, I've probably worked with 15 <laughs> in the last four or five years. So I, what, what do you, what makes connect different? I think it'd be interesting to hear your perspective as well after I answer, but from my opinion, um, a lot of, a lot of the, the traditional talent agents wait for opportunities to land on the desk and then they negotiate them and, and offer them out. Whereas we're proactive in the sense that if I know I have an influencer that wakes up every morning and eats Weetabix, why are they not working with Weetabix? Because there's an authentic (laughs) connection there, right? So we go out to market and I've trained a sales team that can go out to market and turn around and say, we've got an authentic relationship here that you can benefit from by working with them. They've got X amount of, of followers and we've got a really creative idea that we can come up with that's going to actually deliver results for your brand, as opposed to just sending loads of influencers a box of Weetabix and hoping they like yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Nine times out of 10, even if an influencer doesn't like it, they'll put a smile on. They go, yeah, this is amazing. Do you know what I mean? I'm so but happy the guys at Weetabix got in touch with me. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, and that's the difference, right? Now, on a talent side, 
we offer a lot of support, whether that be accountants, financial advisors, sometimes therapists, like whatever's needed, right? Um, as well as just being a phone call away. You know, if, if one of my talents need advice, need help, if they call us, there's always someone to answer 24-7. It's not like five o'clock, it's shut off, the office is done and that's it, wait till tomorrow morning. I'm on the phone to people sometimes at 3 a.m. just listening to problems and working out a way to fix them. And that's fine because that's part of my job. Mm. Uh, and we've got a really tight-knit community of creators that all trust us and know that we're working on opportunities that will be the best for them. Um, so it, it adds that element of we know that if we're proposing something to a brand, I have control that the creator is going to deliver what I say they're going to deliver. I'm not making an open-ended promise to the brand saying this one will do this, this, and this mm. going back to them and then saying, all right, can you do this? And they go, oh no, actually I don't like that. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot of synergy that goes throughout and we know our creators. I know if I tell you an idea, they're going to want to do that because I understand the way they think I'm not guessing on their behalf and then taking it back to them. Yeah, I think I think that's the difference. Like, obviously, you are, you know, it's like first hand relationships, you you are actual managers of these people, and you know them and you know what their roadmaps look like. And I think I've had, you know, you know, we, we've been in discussions recently. And I think it's really clear to me just how well you and the team know your talent. And, you know, you know, you know, I was asking questions about what one of them was doing, you know, in Q1 next year and, you know, members of your team knew exactly on yeah. each of them. And it wasn't just like a, a one person that we were discussing. It was like 15 different people. And it, it it was just so, it was so great to hear the relationship or, or understand that you generally have a deep relationship with each of the talent that you look after. So it's not just you positioned it, we, we kind of the words agency and managers are kind of intertwined but you are kind of both it's like yes you are an agency because you're you are kind of selling uh you know your talent but you are also managers in that you are providing you know a wraparound support to to that talent which means a lot to brands like from our perspective it's like oh we love that you know so much about the people that we're about to park cash for type yeah. thing hundred percent. And also it's not just, it's not just the monetization side for these influencers. It's the ability to like look at TV opportunities, look at merchandising opportunities, look at everything, podcasts, Snapchat shows, Facebook shows, like what, whatever they want to do, if they, if they communicate clearly, which most of them are very good at communicating, mm. we're able to at least entertain conversations. And sometimes it doesn't go their way, but we we take what they want to do we do lots of planning meetings we understand their goals and we work with them to achieve it and it works both ways as in you know we were discussing a potential idea and i think it was a member of your team that said actually do you know what i don't think that's quite right for h1 but it might work in h2 because they're just not ready yet and i think being transparent about that means a lot as well because there's nothing worse from a marketer's perspective than just trying to be sold something like we'd rather get the creative rights. The amount of times that we push back on things and it's difficult because sometimes brands or marketers don't want to be told that that's not the right thing to do. Yeah. We'll, we'll always do what the client wants, right? So at the end of the day, whoever's paying the money makes a decision. 
Mm. Uh, if, if you buy a car and you decide you want it in red, not black, that's your decision, whether the car salesman likes the color red or not. Yeah. Right? So it's a case of we can advise and we can say this is why and we can lay it all out. We can deliver data, this, that and the other. And then from that point, it's up to the client whether they want to proceed in the way we suggest or the way they suggest. Sometimes we've had clients where we've done it our way straight away and it's gone amazing. Sometimes we've done it their way first. It hasn't done so good. And then we've gone, right, now you're going to have to spend double to do it our way to prove that that was the right decision. And it's just, that's just the game, right? Um, yeah. But it, it's it's refreshing, I feel, from a, from a, for a company to hear someone actually challenge how they thought they were going to do it because at least you know it's not somebody that's just trying to lick ass to get a deal closed. Yeah. You know? Of course, and, and also it, sometimes when you've like like I said the the example that I just gave where you guys actually said maybe we should take X Y and Z off the table, yeah, um, you know that goes against the grain of what you're set up to do commercially, which I think gave us kind of some trust in you that actually you want to do right by the campaign because if we were to do that, it wouldn't work. It's all about relationships, and it's about retaining relationships, and and that's why we are where we are today, like. We've got unbelievable relationships with Meta. We've got unbelievable relationships with YouTube. All these brands come back, Spotify, like they come back every month and spend with us because we're actually telling them what we're going to do and we deliver it. Amazing. So listen, you are, you. I mean, this is going to be weird for people to hear, but you are just 23 years old, which makes me feel... Horrendous. I don't know a thing or a bad thing. It's a good thing. I think for me, it's a horrendous thing. For you, <laughs> it's an incredible thing. Because um, you're the sort of person that makes everyone feel really fucking unsuccessful in life. Um, but you are, you know, like you said, you described it as the fastest growing social first agency. I think I got that right. Um, Very good. And you are just 23. So like, how do you manage that? Because when I was 23, I literally didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I literally didn't even, I don't even think I worked in marketing when I was 23. I was still on a grad scheme trying to figure out what I wanted to do. But like, how do you get your head around kind of where you're going in life? Or are are you pretty focused with with where things are at? I'm very focused. Um, I know exactly what I want. (laughs) Anybody that knows me will know that this, where I'm sitting right now is where I'm meant to be in the sense, mm. without sounding egotistical, I've always wanted to be a businessman like that. Throughout school, I was the kid that got away with doing the bare minimum amount of work that selling sweets in the corner of the of the like hallways and I used to sell all sorts. I went through a phase of selling Bath and Body Works hand sanitizers before COVID was even a thing. I was selling sweets from America, then shoes. Like I've I've always been that guy. Um, in sick form, they sat me down and they asked me what I wanted to do. And my response was sales. And I got shut down pretty quickly because obviously that doesn't fit into the realms of what they want, which is go to university and make the school look good. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually got told that sales wasn't a viable career option, which got shut down pretty quickly. Um, who are these careers people? Like, honestly, who the hell are they? And what, like, how are they qualified to give out advice? I know. So I went from school. I mean, I've, I've been working since I was 17. Um, I worked in a care home, literally Did you? throughout sick form. Um, for Just, a year just for money? Or was that something you were interested in? 
honestly, just for money, like it, it was a job. I loved it there. Like I, I really enjoyed hearing the stories. Like some of the stories you hear are just crazy. Um, I feel like I'm quite a caring person as well. So the, the whole side of being able to sit down with someone and make their day because they don't really get any visitors and stuff was really nice. Um, but I was basically just a schlapper. Like I'd go and deliver them all their post and I'd go sit with them and talk to them, make them cups of teas, open the door for the visitors, check the visitors in. Like very, very basic. I love work. that. Um, so I did that all throughout sick form. Um, whilst I was also running a business, basically selling shoes. I'm a big lad. I've got size 13 feet. And I realized that it's very hard to get shoes in size 13. So I was on all these Facebook groups with people with a similar size feet as me all saying the same thing. And I was like, fuck it, I'm going to come up with a company that just sells size 12 to 14 shoes. And that's what I did. And I made a business out of that. Um, Successful business? <laughs> it, it was until my business partner at the time um, screwed me over and stole all the money out of the bank account. Oh. Which was an interesting life lesson to learn. Um, are you, are you, do you still know this person? I haven't spoken to them since, no. Okay. Business, eh? Um, strong, strong lesson to learn. Um, don't trust people, basically, when it comes to money. Um, yeah, I mean, I, that could be a whole podcast in itself, but just like very quickly, what, what, how did he get away with it? He Basically, I kept pestering him for the money back and he took all the money out as cash because we did a... Um, we did like a, an event together where we got all of our shoes and we, we went to this event in London and we sold everything in cash. After the event, he took all the cash and never spoke to me again. Um, and then the police got involved and they said, because it's cash, there's nothing you can do. I then started being the businessman in me, like messaging his old family on Facebook going, your son stole this from me, to which I then got a call from the police saying, if you continue, we're going to do you for harassment and online bullying. So I just had to put my hands up and be like, okay, cool. I guess I've lost this money now. And that was that. <laughs> um, wow. So yeah, that was, that was a failed business that I had. Um, I then, when I left school, did a internship at Sky TV, got offered a job there, decided I didn't want to do it. It was a big commute and yeah, pay wasn't great. And it was just a lot of factors. Although it was a sick place to work, like their offices are unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Like gyms, uh, cinemas, like the works. Um, landed, ended up going and doing some work experience with my dad. I never wanted to be the kid that left school and worked for my dad. I was like so anti it because my thought process was like, everybody, all my friends are going to be like, oh, his, his dad's looking after him. Like he's working for daddy and that's it. And then when I started working for dad and realized that it's a sales job and if I don't sell, I get sacked anyway, like... <laughs> I have to earn my right to be there. And if people didn't understand that, then that's, that's more for them for not understanding the way sales works, right? Yeah. So I started selling for him and very quickly it was clear that I could sell. Um, I had a lot of training, like throughout the first two, three years of working there, literally one-to-one -one coaches, life coaches, sales coaches. I think sales training is like one of the most incredible things. Like if you if you can do it properly, like that is life-changing skills. 100%. I mean, it's super intense. And there were days where I had mental breakdowns, like really completely lost my shit, like crying. 100%. Sales is the most lonely thing ever because 
however hard you're trying, if you can't sell anything, you just think you're shit. Mm. <laughs> and, and the blame always comes back on yourself because you're the one that's like, no one else is, is um, forcing you not to sell apart from yourself, right? Mm. And the problem is the longer you don't sell for, the more desperate you get. And then the more desperate you get, the worse you are at selling. And it's just a big spiral of negativity. Um, and it, it took me a lot of time to, to work out how to deal with my emotions in a way that didn't affect the sales. So basically understanding that some weeks you're not going to sell anything and that's okay and not to get yourself into a negative place over it because the negative place causes more negativity and it's like a, it's like dominance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I worked there three and a half years in, had my own team, ran my own title. Um, I was back and forth um, to Ethiopia multiple times because I was running the Ethiopian Airlines um, account, had six people under me. And yeah, it was it was really good until COVID happened, um, and that brings us back to where we are today. So, so literally, had COVID not have happened, you would have still be running Ethiopia Airlines marketing stuff, most likely, or, or or similar projects. So, what used to happen is that they'd take the management would take a senior staff member or somebody that was good at their job. Mm to manage a specific title and train the team until that team was then on track and delivering sales and had reoccurring advertisers. And then they'd win a new title. So they'd win Qatar Airways and then they'd shift the manager from that onto the new project and do the whole thing and repeat again. So I was working for KLM, Royal Dutch Airlines. I was doing EasyJet. I did Ethiopian Airlines. I did Etihad at one point. Um, so interesting. I mean, it's it's really. I mean, from a marketing Honestly, perspective, I think it is like, great. Lots of travel. I I literally for four and a half years I travelled everywhere, like Australia, Argentina, Brazil. Like, I did it all. What to go and meet the clients type thing? Meeting clients, like yeah, just With perks, perks, um, and that was sick. And it it was weird introducing myself and going, yeah, I'm nineteen years old or I'm twenty years old, and they're like, what? <laughs> Um, but I feel like I've always been able to hold myself in that environment. And it's interesting because I know when we spoke last time, a lot of those experiences have informed how you view the the work that you do now and how you manage your teams. Like, for example, I know one of the things that really stuck with me is when you said you want, you know, through your kind of sales work in years gone by, how much budget or how much these brands are willing to spend. And if they're willing to spend on kind of magazines yeah. to get X reach, it it makes no sense for them to not be investing in talent on social, on social because they're getting much more of the money. If I know a brand spending X amount of money on a TV ad, then that's getting them 10 million views. If I can deliver 20 million views on social, why should I be getting less money for that viewership? Um, and that's something that we're quite strong with to clients. And I think. Oh, so you're actually coming at it from like, let's not devalue. Yeah. The, the, the there's a lot of, there's a lot of agents and there's a lot of talents that will happily do 500 pound posts and devalue the market. That's good for them, but they're not delivering the results that our influencers are delivering. So um, we, we're very firm with our prices because we're delivering the results that, deserve to be paid for yeah basically yeah 
but also like how you manage your team. I mean, you've just come back from the World Cup in Qatar. Like you are, you you strongly believe in incentives and kind of nurturing like positive culture. The team's highly highly incentivized. They get quarterly trips away. They've done. I mean, last year, for example, they went to the Maldives. They went on a private jet to Cannes. They went to Qatar. They just come back for the World Cup, and that's all based on hitting sales targets and. I I'm, I understand the way people's brains work in the sense of if you know you've got to do a certain number in exchange for a free holiday, you're going to do the number, whether you like it or not, right? So it's just a case of making sure, one, people feel like we've got really cool offices, we've got like everything under the sun, right, that they could possibly want to make their job easier. They've just got to come in and do what they need to do and mm. they get rewarded for it. Um, as well as being in a really awesome industry where they get to go to red carpet events every bloody evening and eat out in posh restaurants with clients. And yeah, you know, they've got the dream lifestyle, almost like the RE Gold lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm on the wrong side of the fence. I mean, I've always said that because people think being client side is like where it's at because we we just like spend money and like get other people to do our work for us. But the agency lifestyle is where, is literally where it's at though because we don't get anything. Um, no yeah, there's loads of perks on on your side. Um, and what about you though? So, like, I know you said just before that you're you're up sometimes till three a.m. talking to your your people. You've yeah. got a busy team to run. You've got offices to manage. You've got recruitment. You've got growth. You've got investor meetings. I'm sure there's board meetings like. How do you kind of balance your time? Do you you ever switch off? And if you do, like, what what do you do to relax? I mean, for example, even whilst I was in Qatar, I was working. So it's like, is there a time to switch off? Yeah. Yes, I guess. When I get home from work, I switch off compared to what I would be in the office. Mm. I'm still on, if that makes sense. Like, if something needs doing, I don't put put it on a to-do list to do tomorrow. I just do it there and then. And whether that's healthy or not, I don't know. Um, I love everything about what I do. And I understand that the lifestyle that I live wouldn't be... Even the budgets? Like, is there a bit of the business side of things that you don't love? No, not really. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I I think I've, I've done both sides. So I've worked as an employee and I've realized the amount of work that needs to be done without seeing all the budgeting and the board meetings and and everything that goes on. And I understand how stressful that side of the stuff is. Like, so I understand both sides. And as a business owner, to be able to delegate, yes, I have to do crap jobs, like managing payroll and making sure the profit loss sheets and the balance sheets add up and all this stuff. But in exchange for the lifestyle I'm living, I'm willing to make those sacrifices. And if I just stop doing that, then I can't live the lifestyle I live. So it's it's a compromise that I need to make as a business owner. I also quite honestly don't have too much of a social life. Like my business is my social life. Like I go to lots of events and dinners for business. Um, I've got my core friends that I see regularly, but I don't really go out for meals and stuff for myself. Like when I have the chance to come home and go to sleep, that's what I do. <laughs> because you are someone who got, I mean, you, you are out every night pretty much. Most but, nights, yeah. but you're basically saying that that's actually 
99% work-related. <laughs> it's all work-related. Yeah. Like, like whether I'm going out with one of the talents or one of the clients, although I enjoy it and it doesn't feel like work, it still technically is. Like, if, if you ask what my friends are doing, I'd be, uh, he's, at, he's, like a, he's at a dinner for me for work. Like, it, mm. To them, they can't compute how I work all the time. And to me, I'm like, oh, it's fine. Like, this is my life. Right. Well, I, I I've, also, I've also grown up with my dad, who is exactly the same, who has had to make sacrifices for business. And to me, that feels pretty normal. Like, well, why is dad not home till 11 o'clock at night? Oh, he's at a client meeting. It's like, I've grown up with that. So to me, that's just normal. Like, if I didn't have that, I'd be like, why am I not going out for client meetings? Like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's business to be done. Exactly. Do you have do you have like a coach or a mentor that you speak to and check in with just Multiple. to make sure, like because you've got to obviously make sure that you're you're looking after yourself. Multiple. I've I've got a life coach. I've got mentors. Um, I've got people that I speak to, even just family. You know, speaking to my mom, my dad. Like a, a lot of people are scared to ask for help or open mm. up about how you're feeling. As soon as I feel something, whether it be negative or positive. I usually talk about it because I don't like bottling stuff up and keeping it in. And an example of that is a couple of weeks ago before I went to Qatar, I was feeling really down and shit and there was no real catalyst as to why. I just think I felt a bit burnt out. And I said to my family, right, I'm going on the drive and I'll be back in a couple of hours. And I just drove around, listened to music and just cleared my head and sat with myself. And I came back, really? like, right, cool, I'm on now. And by letting people know that you're not feeling good, that takes away the coming in and going, how's your day? How was this? How was that? And, and all the prodding and people just leave you alone. And I, I, I like to deal with stuff. Some people deal with stuff by talking about it. I like to deal with it myself by thinking about the situation, dealing with the situation and then just getting rid of it because I don't like to sit on things for too long. Otherwise mm. it play on your mind. And I've, and that's what I was saying about when I worked in sales and feeling the other side, I don't have that pressure of having to deliver results right now because I've got an amazing team in place that enables me to deliver those results the pressures I have is making sure that we can deliver new business and we can grow the business so that everybody here gets better and better yeah um, well that makes sense and and it sounds like you you know yourself well enough to know your triggers and your detractors and kind of what makes you happy or, or not which is a very no, powerful nobody really talks about feeling shit and no matter how good life's going, you're always going to feel shit about something. And it, it doesn't even need to be something that's directly like related to you. You see someone else doing something and you think, oh, I feel a bit miserable about that. Why? Who knows? But then you push it down and it builds up and builds up and builds up and then you just crack. Yep. Um, Which is why therapy is so important. 100%. 100%. Love me a bit of therapy. Right. <laughs> same my my expensive hobby <laughs> um so you're you're around kind of these high profile people quite a lot then so what's like the maddest experience or the most kind of like surreal situation you found yourself in about about five months ago we sponsored the ksi ksi fought twice in one night we sponsored the ring and the footage on telly and being there, being ringside, seeing my branding all over the ring, seeing someone basically get knocked out on my logo, which is 
depends how you want to interpret it. But like being there in one of the biggest social events and seeing my branding, literally a brand that I've grown from my bedroom was moving and, and Real moment. bigger than meeting any sort of celebrity. Like I went to Dwayne Johnson's premiere for Black Adam a couple of weeks ago and, you know, we saw him there and that's cool. But seeing something that you've made and grown and put a lot of time, effort, tears, sweat, blood into yeah. it, actually be considered as a brand that's actually big enough to even, like it's not even about spending the money to be there. It's the fact that they actually allowed us to advertise as a, as a brand that's big enough there. Like, did you like, did you just apply for it? Or did you like, how, how did you get that sponsorship? Um, initially we were approached by the company to sell it for them because they couldn't sell the advertising space. And um, we were able to sell some slots for them. And I also decided there that it would be quite impactful for us to be there. So I invested wow. quite a hefty chunk of money to be there. So yeah, it was good. Amazing. And was it money well spent? Was it money well spent? I think it was a really cool thing to do. I think a lot of our clients saw it and felt really proud, talent side. Mm-hmm. Um, all of our friends and family saw it, which was quite cool. Did we get business off the back of it? Guess Probably you don't know yet. A few bits and pieces, like of brands that reached out saying, oh, we saw you on te- television the other night, like really cool. And then conversations sparked from that. Um, for me, it wasn't about, it wasn't uh, an activation that I wanted return on investment for. It was more to basically say we're not now and we're actually like big dog players. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and it did give us quite a lot of presence. Yeah, that's what it's about. Again, that comes back to like the channel mix and using your channels accordingly. You can't, well, depending on what you're doing, but, you know, I think the offline events and sponsorship space is still very interesting and there's still a, a huge demand and market for, you know, brands to invest in in channels like that rather than just digital for, for different purposes, like well, I, brand building. I just understood the fact that every single person that I want to reach is watching that fight. So why would I not want to be there? Yeah, exactly. Smart. It's like Gary V's Super Bowl example that he always goes on about. Yeah. It's the only thing he would invest in, right? Yeah. <laughs> Outside of social media. Um, so what kind of trends can we expect to see in 2023? Is there, is there things that kind of we should all be aware of? Watch out for Meta. I, I think I think Meta are going to really snap back. We've had a lot of big meetings with Meta, and they just really excite me. Like some of the stuff that they're going to do. Um, I think TikTok has had a really fast, accelerated growth, mm. and they're now struggling to keep up with the size of the business that they've built. Um, I, I just know that on a creator side, creators enjoy working with Instagram and Facebook more because they take more care and they take a lot more care over the creators and, and what the creators actually want. Um, YouTube as well are spending a lot of cash investing in creators and also investing in their short form content, YouTube shorts, um, because they're competing with everyone's competing with TikTok. TikTok, TikTok are clear at the moment in terms of short form content. Mm. 
it, it's now it now basically is. Oh, is that gap going to be narrowing in 2023? Do you think? But funnily enough, a lot, a lot of the you know I was speaking to a couple of guys in my family, like younger kids, and I said, "Oh, do you watch TikTok?" And they go, "Oh, we watch YouTube Shorts." So, I think YouTube Shorts are, have already started to take over a bit of that market share. Yeah, um, Facebook are making Facebook Reels. Instagram Reels are starting to pop again. It's going to be a very interesting year. So where do you see yourself in, in three years time? Where will the business be in maybe one year's time? Like what, what do you want? What are your hopes and dreams for Connect Management? I, I want to be known as the largest social first agency in the UK. I want all of the big brands to trust us with their budget um, to make really cool activations and really cool campaigns. Um, I would love to have even more talent managers and more talent signed to the to the books. I, I think that slowly but surely socials are evolving and influencers slash creators are becoming the new wave of celebrities. Now, a lot of celebrities, it took them seven, eight, nine years to build up their reputation in the industry, multiple TV shows, like a lot of a lot of hard work and effort goes into it. And I can see the same trends with creators and influencers in two three years their following is only going to be even stronger so that means they're going to be able to do the same thing that all of the traditional celebrities have done which is build out clothing lines and makeup lines and merchandise and this that and the other so and also i think tv will adapt to taking a lot more social first talent and putting them on television We're, we're experiencing it a lot now that a lot of our influencers are getting more tv shows because they're realizing that if you want to get someone young to watch telly, you've got to put someone there that they actually want to see. Um, I think the landscape is going to be very, very different. I think the brands are, brands are going to spend even more money. Um, I think it's, I think it's all a positive curve upwards. Yeah, no, I agree. I can see that. Even you know, being on my side, just the, the nature of conversations that we're having, we've never had so many discussions about kind of influences and talent. Yeah, um, as much as we have been. Yeah. Okay, and then moving on to the kind of the final section, and one thing I ask all my guests to do is to write a little letter or provide some words of advice to their younger self. I think, I think, I think to caveat what I'm about to say is this is something that I wrote based off of the based off of conversations that I've had with a lot of people, whether that be family, friends, other people in different jobs, who see what I've done, what others around them have done and compare themselves way too often. And Mm. comparing is just a terrible idea because everybody's doing different things at different times. Always. And the easiest way to get yourself down is compare yourself to somebody else. Um, Because however well I may be doing, there's 25 million people doing better, you know? And and that's just the sad reality of it, right? So what I wrote was, don't worry about other people and their paths. Everyone has their own life clock and the speed of that clock is moving differently for each and every one of us. Comparison is the thief of joy. That's a very famous quote. Focus on yourself and never be afraid to take risks. Your biggest learning will come from the mistakes that you make and how to adapt and overcome. And for me, I've made lots of mistakes. I've done lots of things that weren't right. When I, when I first started the agency in year one, I pumped a load of money into a content house, which basically crashed and burned, lost all the money, um, based on something that I thought was a good idea that wasn't. 
you know, I've I've taken a lot of risks. I've not overthought situations and it's left us in the position we are today. Some of them were really good decisions. Some of them were really bad decisions, but I've learned and grown and, and turned into the person I am from them. Um, if you want to do something, do it now. Don't like put it off. Um, that's why I said to you, I'm not a checklist guy. If I have to yeah. do something, I don't write it down on my to-do list for tomorrow. I just do it because then it's not on my mind anymore. And I, I think I'm constantly thinking all the time. And if there's something that I need to do that I put uh, put off till tomorrow, I then don't get it done because the time between then and tomorrow, I've just thought about it too many times. I've done it already, basically. <laughs> yeah. No, I love that. I, I, I just can't help but think you're only 23 and you're just so kind of wiser beyond your years and older, older than, you, you know, you come across much older than you than you actually are. But like, I absolutely love kind of everything you've said basically is underpinned by this idea of perspective. Yeah, it's just so important in everything you're doing. You don't have to be running a business or you don't have to, you know, be looking after or be responsible for hundreds of people. But just understand that life is uh, not a sprint. It's a marathon. And like, the game of life is such that some people will be ahead of you, some people will be behind, and you've just got to go at your own pace. I used to get, used to get asked all the time, what? Because I always used to tell people I want to have my own business, and people would say, "Well, doing what? Doing what?" I'm like, I don't fucking know. Like, if you told me five years ago that I'd be running an influencer agency, I'd probably be like, "What's an influencer?" Like, mm. I, you don't know what you're going to do until it happens. And when something opens and you see an opportunity, you either take that risk, jump in head first and do it with 100%, or you do it half-assed and you do it whilst you're still working in another job and you kind of do it on the side. And nine times out of 10, it's not going to succeed because you're not giving it everything. And that's what I could have very easily stayed in the job I was in and done this on the side for a couple of influencers. It would never yeah. have the scale of where it is now. that would have been the advice right i'm sure some business coach would have said to you some sometime like oh why don't you stay in full-time employment do a bit do this on the side and then nothing ever really gets done I, with 100% i can't commitment. even tell you how many people advise me to do that yeah over, over 10 yeah well it's like i get advised the whole time <laughs> like i probably shouldn't declare this publicly but it's like i obviously got a little photography side hustle i've got a yeah. podcast side hustle but i'm also full-time employed and everyone is saying oh yeah just keep doing that keep doing that but it's like well it's not gonna go anywhere if i'm if i've got three jobs that are all getting like i think that not undivided attention if you, if, if you have enough confidence in yourself it's difficult because because sometimes you can have confidence in yourself, but you still don't want to take the risk. I was very lucky that I was in the position where I was young and I had the opportunity to take a risk. Um, if I was 35 with a family and I had a, like, had a lot of bills to pay, yeah. then it's a lot more difficult to take that risk. And in my head was, okay, you're working in a job that, if shit hits the fan and in six months you realize that was a terrible decision, could I go and get a job back, whether it be the job I had or another job? Yes. Okay. So what's the damage six months worth of salary? Yeah. And, and that's, that's the risk I had to take. And I didn't have any money at that point. Like 
I, I was doing really well, but I was living very much on a paycheck to paycheck basis. I wasn't saving. I, I had a mortgage, which I considered my form of saving. I'm like, yeah, well, every, every month I'm paying my mortgage and that's going back in my pocket, which technically was true. But if my car broke down one month, I would have been bust because I was eating in expensive restaurants, nice car, mortgage, designer clothes. Like I, I was living that lifestyle paycheck to paycheck and I wasn't saving. So when I started the business, I had a reality check of, okay, one, no one's paying you the money that you were earning before because I couldn't afford to pay myself what I was earning before. And two, I can no longer live a lavish lifestyle. And I remember my dad saying to me, good luck. I hope you enjoy eating beans on toast. Mm. And that was the reality. I, I, I ate pot noodles and beans on toast for like six months. Why, why did you just out of interest when you were in your sales job, why were you living kind of hand to mouth, like buying expensive clothes? Because it sounds as though that the businessman in you wouldn't be. When you're in a hype pressured sales environment and you've got a lot of people around you earning lots of money that are doing a lot of flashy things you feel like you want to keep up and I wanted the convertible car and my own flat and this that and the other and could I have been sensible and not moved out and done all this stuff probably but by doing that it made me just take risks um when I say I wasn't saving as I say I had a mortgage I put a deposit down yeah yeah, yeah obviously yeah I wasn't completely stupid stupid but if I was earning X amount of money in a month, best believe I would spend every last penny of it. Because I was like, it's fine. I'll just sell more and I'll get, the, I'll get a paycheck There's again. There's something in that. There is something psychologically, you know, positive about that. And, you know, there, there's a book called The Psychology of Money and people talk about the power of now and being present and seeing money is fluid and it comes and it goes. And if you take the approach of money being fluid, then actually you can do much more positive things with it. And I'm always fascinated by people who, because it's not that you devalue money, you very much value money, but you saw it as a, as a means to buy things that bring you joy, whether it's a Balenciaga jumper or convertible car or, or whatever. I used, to, I used to get told back against the wall is when the real salesman comes out. And that is probably one of the reasons why I would spend all the money is because if I had a bank account with X amount of money on and I knew, mm. cool, like the if I sell yeah. fuck all this month, we're good, boy. Like we're we're sweet. Like let's get it. Like it doesn't matter. Whereas if I know if I sell fuck all this month, you're going to struggle to keep your lights on. Then instantly I've got to go into work and sell something. Otherwise I ain't earning. And it was yeah. that it was that sort of. Um, that feels quite toxic as well, though. To be fair, sales sales can be super toxic. Like as I said to you, I had my breakdowns. I had my. Mm. I love getting off the train at Liverpool Street and I love seeing all these like boys who are much younger than me, much better looking than me, all ripped, wearing their Louis Vuitton backpacks. They've got designer clothes head to toe. They look amazing. Yeah. And I just know they work in sales. Yeah, cool. That's how I used to live, you know, and there's so much money in sales. Like if a business doesn't have sales, yeah, it, of course. it can't run, right? So... And, and sales is a very competitive, it's like, who's gotten the most? Who's done this? Who's outsold this? Who's turning in the bell? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's competitive and everyone's competing against each other. And um, that's how, in a sales job, you drive 
results is by by keeping everyone competitive. And I think that um, my outlook on money and life and everything has changed since. I do keep up an image and and a way and a lifestyle that one, not have to, but I want to keep in order like like when I'm turning up to meetings and stuff, I want to look good. I want to be impressive as a person. But at the same time, I understand the value of everything and I'm much more cautious now. Yeah. <laughs> careful. But also, like, I work fucking hard for it. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like you're not living within your means. I think and no, that's and no one can take that away. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Amazing. And also, it's about knowing your audience. I think for some, depending on who you're working with and speaking to, I think it, it, you, it, there's a degree of emotional intelligence required. Yeah, I think that if I turned up to meetings and I don't know, I don't want it to sound egotistical, but yeah. I, I, I think, a jacket. Yeah, there, there's something about, listen, there's something, there's something about turning up in a, in a designer outfit with a nice watch on that people take you more seriously. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, For sure. I love it. I'm fascinated by the whole kind of influence, the psychology of it all that sits behind it. Super, super fascinating. Anyway, that was a slight detour, but um, Benji, thank you so much. You were so super impressive and you should be proud of everything you've achieved. I've, I've loved our conversation. It felt very different to the first one, which is great. Equally, I can't remember what we spoke about the first one. Well, I've got it on video somewhere, but um, no, it was it was super super great. I really really loved it, and um, you're doing great things. And I hope you have an even more successful 2023. Thank you very much. We will make sure that happens. Yes, together, <laughs> together. Um, All right. Thank you. I'll see you soon. Cheers. Bye. Thank you, as always, for taking the time to listen or watch to this podcast. If you enjoyed it, please don't forget to leave a rating or a review from wherever you're listening from. And if you want to share it with friends and family, then that would be very much appreciated too. Until next time, take care, stay safe, and I will see you very, very soon.